Wow. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, the two words that we saw coming out of that song, the songs this morning were glory. Thank you, Carmelo and Marie. And peace. And those two words, actually before that, uh, children, you could be dismissed for junior church. Children, you could be dismissed for junior church. And would you turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. So those two words that kept coming out of those songs this morning, glory and peace, are the two words I want you to consider um, this morning as we look at this passage of scripture from Mark chapter 6. Uh, we have been in this series of messages looking at following the servant king, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he is doing to rule and reign in your hearts and lives and do his work for you. So I'm going to try this. It's, it's the, uh, the is what's sitting in. So is that okay? How are we doing now? If we get okay, man. Not only is he a pastor, but he is a. Uh, I tell you, man. Look at him, <laughs> Mister Servant, huh? All right. Thank you so much. It was my fault. I probably moved something around. Uh, so, glory and God's peace. I want you to consider those two themes uh, today. Would you look here with me in Mark, chapter six? And we're going to be closing off Mark chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 30 through 56 through the end. Let's read a portion of that this morning. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And he went And it grew late, and his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they had five and two fish. And then he commanded them, all sit in groups on a green pasture. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And they were taking the five loaves and the two fish. And he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to the Bethsaida, while they dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening had come... The boat was out on the sea, and he alone was on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And it was about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for all he had seen him, and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and he said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, this morning as we, as we look at this passage, 
This is your sufficient Lord, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. Father, many of us know these stories, the stories of your son feeding the 5,000 men and the story of your son walking on the water. We've heard it maybe a thousand times for some of us. I pray that we would see Christ today. I pray that we wouldn't just hear a story. I would pray that we would see your son in his power, his majesty, his glory, his honor. I pray that we would see his passion for people. I pray that we would see his power over things. And I pray that we would trust him today. In Jesus' matchless, holy, and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. So it's interesting as um, we um, have been doing this series, I want you to keep in mind this. That the Gospels were all about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Gospels are about. They are about one person, Christ. We will see a series of stories, but these one stories focus on this one person, Christ. And John, I'm sorry, Mark has begun his gospel by telling us this, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. That's his whole theme. Jesus Christ is the son of God. We see this from his very first verse. And then the rest of his gospel is to lay out that son of God. Jesus began his ministry here by speaking and proclaiming gospel message. The theme that we could see is in John 1, I'm sorry, I keep going John, I don't know why. Mark 1 verse 15, and it talks about this. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, the kingdom of God is here, believe the gospel. So what did it mean that the kingdom has come? And the kingdom has come because it shows that God's rule and reign is present in our lives. In heaven, God's rule and reign is constantly recognized and revered. Constantly. So the angels are bowing down. Those who have gone before us that are believers are in heaven, bowing down to the rule and reign of Christ because he is revered. It's reverenced. See, in hell, though, his rule and reign is resisted. It is rejected constantly. So those that are in hell are resisting and rejecting him. But here on earth, there's a mixture. There are some of us here on earth that see Christ's rule and his reign, and we magnify him and glorify him. But the vast majority of people today are resisting him and rejecting him. And the message that God has given us is this message of hope that we are supposed to speak out of our lives and we are supposed to live, speak and live the gospel. That's all that we have. That's the message of hope. And Jesus' aim when he was here on earth was to preach the gospel. And as he preached the gospel to people, what he wanted to do is to show that he is the truth. All the miraculous signs that we've seen, we've seen him have power over disease, we've seen him have power over demons, we've seen him have power over death, but all of that was to point people to the truth of the gospel message. So important. It's a repeated theme. Another repeated theme that we've seen through Mark is this. This question, who is Jesus? What we're trying to do is to answer that question, who is Jesus? Now, you remember his family and those that were closest to him thought he was crazy. They thought he was a lunatic. They thought he lost his mind and they were concerned for him. They were going to do an intervention with him, you remember. We see the religious leaders who should have known better. They were seeing him as a demon. They believed that his words and his actions were being filled by Satan. We see the demons knew exactly who he was. They feared him, but they would not respect him. They would not revere him. They would not bow down to him and worship him. They would bow down to him in fear, but not in worship. We see the people that were around him, seeing him as a miracle worker, and they would fly after him so that he would meet their temporal pain and their suffering. We see even King Herod, as we heard in our last message, King Herod has no clue. He is fearful that he's John the Baptist raised again because Herod is feeling guilt over taking John the Baptist's life. The question of who is Jesus is a question that so many people are answering. 
and they're answering wrongly. Even Jesus' disciples were struggling to understand who he was. They, they knew that they heard something different in his messages. They knew that they heard, saw something different in his life. But who is Jesus? They still haven't gotten it. Don't be too hard on the disciples because we have the full gospel message. We have the completed canon of scripture and yet day after day we struggle with that same question. Who is Jesus? Well today I hope we're going to see who Jesus is. So now I get, I have two questions for you before we get to the text. Who is Jesus? Number one. It's the first question. The second question is who is Jesus to you? Now the second question has no bearing on the first question. Jesus Christ is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, majestic, and we will bow our knee before him. Has no bearing. But the second question is so important. Who is Jesus to you? Because each one of you today need to make a decision about, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Do I trust in his passion? Do I trust in his power? Do I trust in his authority in my life? I pray that you will. Okay, my outline is pretty simple. Uh, Four basic themes. It's the four stories that are here. His caring for the disciples, number one. That's going to be the first couple of verses. Then his compassion for the people. We're going to see that in his feeding of the 5,000. Then we're going to see his constant presence in the storms. That is, the storms were raging for these disciples. He was constantly present with them. Even though they didn't feel like he was with them, he was with them. So his care for his disciples, his compassion for the people, his constant presence in the storm, and then his continual press of ministry. His continual press of ministry. And I want you to think about this theme. Take heart. It is I. Do not be what? Afraid. I want you to think about that. So let's go and jump in here, right here at verse 30. We're going to tag off of what uh, Pastor Tim talked about last week, and we're just going to look at the first uh, couple of verses here. It says in verse 30, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Well, let's start with this. Apostle. This is the first time that Mark is going to use this term apostle for this group of disciples. An apostle is a sent out one. And you remember at the beginning of the chapter, I believe Pastor Doug had started us here, that the disciples were sent out into a ministry. And as they were being sent out into the ministry to go out and to preach the good news, to heal people. And you remember, he said, I don't want you to take anything with you. And I I want you to take any bags. I don't want you to take anything, money. I want you to trust that your Father in heaven will provide for you. That theme is going to be really important as we get to the next story. So is God going to provide for you? Do you trust him to provide for you? So the apostles go out and they have seen God working, the Holy Spirit working in their lives and through their lives. And they're so excited and it's like they're getting to come back and they're having private time with Jesus, which I love. This private time with Jesus, they, they sit down and they spend time with Jesus and they tell Jesus all about what's going on in their lives. And I was thinking for me, that's, that's so important for us as well, that we need to be spending time with Jesus day after day and talking to Jesus. Let him talk to you through his word, but talk to him through prayer. It's so important. Well, the disciples have returned from their ministry and they have given a report to Jesus about all that they had done and all that they had taught. And what Jesus does is he shows his care for these disciples. Watch here what he says. He says, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest for a while. Now, if you remember, there's this repeated word that Mark has been using Immediately, immediately, immediately. You know, they are constantly on the move. And Jesus is, is so excited to hear what the Holy Spirit's been doing through their lives and their ministries, but he also is so concerned for them as a shepherd. He's caring for them as a shepherd. And he says, I want you to come away and I want you to get some rest. Jesus counsels them to get rest, verse 31. And he's counseling them, but it's not even just a counsel. He's commanding them. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. It's a command. And what he's saying is, I want you to go away to a solitary place and rest for a while. 
Jesus was guiding them and shepherding them to take care of their bodies. He was, he was counseling them to take a sabbatical rest, take some time, get some rest. And this is so important for each one of us. That some of us, and I've got one finger out, three fingers point back, are constantly on the press, press, press. But you need to be able to get some rest. So Jesus Christ showing his care for his disciples, hears their, sees their return, hears their report, but tells them to get rest. And he says, I want you to get renewed. Verse 32. He says, and they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Get some renewal. The disciples were obedient. Immediately they went and followed Jesus. They followed Jesus' command. They followed Jesus' counsel. They sought to be rejuvenated. They sought to be recuperated. They sought renewal both physically and spiritually as they got time with the second person of the Godhead. That's pretty amazing. But you and I get the same privilege We get the same privilege to take care of the bodies God has given us, but also to take care of our spirit and soul to spend time with Jesus. So we see Jesus' care for his disciples. Second, I want you to see Jesus' compassion for the people. Look here in verse 33. And then he went, when they went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now, now, I'm sorry, let's go back to 33. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot. So, so they're seeing them get in the boat, and they're saying, you know what, we can catch them. And they figured out where they were going, so they started to run to catch up. And this crowd is pressing upon them. And it actually says that the crowd got there before they actually landed. And so, I, 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 you know, I mean, ministry is tough. You know, you, you look to get some rest and there's another crisis that somebody else has, another problem somebody else has, another phone call, another struggle. And if you're in ministry, that's just the way life is. You are with people who are in the midst of pain and suffering and struggles and you may want to get rest at times, but then there are times that just people are pressing in. And what I find so passionate about Christ here is this. He had compassion on them. See, If it were me, sad to say, if another phone call comes in, sometimes I have to be careful of grumbling and complaining. It's like, oh, I just wanted to get some rest, right? Not so with the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't ever see him grumbling and complaining about people that are coming. His heart for you, his compassion for them was there. He showed his passion for people. He loved people. And he saw the pain in people's lives and he, it broke him. He saw at his friend's tomb, the the pain of the grief at Lazarus' tomb and he wept at the pain and the misery that was there because that is the passion of the son of God. He loves you. He loves people and he hates that sin and sickness and death have gripped this world. And Jesus Christ showed compassion for these people. I wonder what the disciples were thinking. <laughs> I wonder if they would be like I am sometimes, feeling the grumbling and complaining, like this is some retreat. <laughs> I thought we were going to go away and get some rest, and here they are again. I don't know. But sad to say, um, that's probably the way we would have responded, but that's not the way the Son of God responded. And I find it interesting here that he he had compassion on them and here's the reason because they were what like sheep without a shepherd like sheep without a shepherd uh, this theme of the shepherding work of the Lord Jesus Christ has been um, so important to me you know as psalm 23 you know the lord is what my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That, that idea of sheep without a shepherd, this is a constant theme that we see in the Bible, that, that God looks at us as sheep, and sheep are stupid. Sheep are dumb. Sheep cannot find food for themselves. Sheep cannot protect themselves. They are helpless. They are hopeless. They are defenseless. They need a shepherd to protect them. They need a shepherd to provide for them. They need a shepherd that's going to nurture them. And that is what Jesus is saying. I am the shepherd. In the Old Testament, the shepherd were supposed to be the priest and the religious leaders. But they had failed the people. The religious leaders, even of Jesus' time, had failed the people. And they look and he sees all these people and he says, they're sheep. 
who have no shepherd. They have no leadership right now. They have no one that is their ultimate shepherd. And what he's doing is he is indicting the religious leaders of the day, but he's also finding compassion for these people. It's so important. I wonder if that's the Christ that you think about. Well, I find it interesting as well that Jesus, having compassion for them, their sheep without a shepherd, what does he do immediately? See, in our culture, what we would do is probably give them things, right? Give them possessions. Give them more money. Give them more power. But that's not what Jesus gave them. He gave them the, the word. He taught them. Oh, that's so cool. Can you imagine sitting there and we've tracked you down, Jesus? And what does Jesus do? He just teaches. The absolute privilege of being able to preach God's word and to teach God's word, I can't tell you, is one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to do. To be able to disciple people one-on-one and to share with them the good news of the gospel and to share that with them and to see people's lives radically changed is one of my greatest joys. Jesus just did this, but I will never be able to preach like Jesus. I will never be able to teach like Jesus. When Jesus taught, people were mesmerized. And Jesus showed compassion to his people by teaching them many things. The passage says here many things. He taught at great length. He shared with them the things that were happening. And, and we see in verse 35, and it, the time grew late. And so you ever sit down and you listen to somebody and it's like you're just blown away. It's like I can't even imagine that that hour is gone. It's just gone. It's like where did it go? I'm just so captivated by that. There are some pastors that I can listen to and I could just listen to them for hours upon hours upon hours. Well, that's what it probably was with Jesus. Nobody was looking at their clock. Nobody was thinking about the Giants game later. They were just so mesmerized by Christ. I should have said the Eagles, huh? Now the disciples, on the other hand, the time is growing late, and his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Duh. <laughs> like, I gotta tell Christ that this is a desolate place. This is just, these disciples are a trip. And the hour is late. And then they have the temerity. Send them away. I am telling the second person of the Trinity, something to do now before i get upset with the disciples how many times do you and i do the same thing jesus you're not answering the request the way i really thought this is what i expect that you're going to do for me all right here's my plan jesus i expect that you're going to follow through how many times do you and i do that come on be honest we all do that Well, the disciples, on the surface, it sounds reasonable. It's late. These people need to get food. There is no 7-Eleven or quick check or Wawa's down the road. They need to go and find food before it gets late. I got it. It sounds reasonable, but they're ordering the master. That's crazy. Send them away to go to a surrounding countryside and village and buy themselves something to eat. Now, what Jesus says oftentimes catches people by surprise, and this one is going to catch you by surprise. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, what Jesus is asking them to remember is that I have just sent you out by the power of the Holy Spirit to go out in my power to to preach and to do miraculous things. I want you to think about who I am to you. Who is Jesus to you? That same God that was with you on the missionary journey is the same God that is with you right now with these 5,000 people, men. But they saw the problem. They didn't see the person. We do the same. I should say 5,000 men. Um, In other gospel accounts, it just says it's men. There may have been a number of women that are there. Some have hypothesized it could have been 20 or 25,000 people. I have no idea. Some of them had met, uh, some of them had wives and a number of them probably had children, but this was a long trip to a desolate place, so we're not sure. But this is a large group of people. And Jesus is testing them. He says, you give them something to eat. And then what Jesus does is he asks them next, 
how many loaves do you have? And he's asking them to go back and take an inventory of what they have. How many loaves? Go and see. And they find a little boy. We find this in another gospel passage. They take this little boy's lunch. I never thought about it that way. (laughs) They take this guy, a little boy's lunch, or he probably donated it. Five fish and two loaves. Uh, five, five loaves and two fish. Now, we think of a loaf and we think of a loaf of bread, right? But, but these are probably pita size. They're small. So it's small and then these two dried fish. Uh, so it's not, it's a, a good amount, probably not for my son, but it's a good amount to, to fill them. And then Jesus took these and watch what Jesus does. He commanded them all to sit down in a group. And they were on a green grass. Remember Psalm 23 again? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down where? In green pastures. Now, I don't know if this is literal. If it's literal, then it's probably springtime or he's just figuratively um, thinking about or symbolically thinking about Psalm 23 here. I'm not sure. I believe that it's probably springtime and the grass is green. And he says, sit down on the green grass. And then they sat down in hundreds and in fifties. And a little bit later on, if you want to, in Exodus chapter 18, In Exodus chapter 18, we see that Moses is going to do exactly the same thing. The people are hungry, and the people are complaining, and then what what Moses does is he separates them into groups so that God can feed them. And similarly, Jesus is going to do the same, actually even more amazingly. Think about the order, organization that is here, the orderly distribution that is here. And verse 41, and then taking the five loaves and two fish, Jesus does something. Watch this. He does, he looks up to heaven, number one, the posture of prayer, he looks up. Second, he blesses, some versions say blesses the bread. That's not, I, I don't believe that that's the case. He's blessing God. He's praising God for God, what God is going to do. So he's looking up. He's blessing God, and then he breaks. Now, you can look at, check with Pastor Doug on this. I believe that that is in a tense. That means it's just a one-time act. But now, the next word is a continual act. He gave. 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 He just kept giving. It was coming out of his hands creatively, power that was coming out of his hands, the passion of Christ for the people, but then the power coming out of his hands. The same God that spoke this world into existence in his very hands is giving to you and giving to you and giving to you and giving to you. What amazing, amazing. I, I don't know what I would have been like if I were one of those disciples. The disciples then sending out the food and then, and then Jesus divides the fish among them all. I want you to see it's all, it's a total provision. There is not one person lacking in this room. And they were all satisfied. It's not just total, it's abundant. It's the abundant provision. They were all satisfied. Not just five little pita rolls and two little fish. They are gorged with grace upon grace that is coming out creatively. The power of Christ. Satisfied. I often ask people about the deficits in their lives. And so many people live their lives at a deficit. They struggle with wanting more. They look at life as a shortage and a debit. They look at life in such a way that it's insufficient. They have a dearth, a lack, a need. I need you to do this. They look at the deprivation in their lives and, you know, they drive out of a car dealership with a brand new car and then they look at another car going by and it's like, I wish I bought that one. Or they get a new house and they look at that new house and they look at somebody else's house in the neighborhood. It's like, oh, well, that's a better one. It's like we live our lives constantly with this deficit mindset. And it's in Christ that we have, we should have a surplus mindset. He's just giving and giving and giving to you. An excess. It goes back to Psalm 23. My cup, what? 
overflows. Lavish, profuse, bountiful. He heaps grace upon grace upon grace upon you. That's the compassion of your Savior. It's interesting here in verse 43. They took up the 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now, I don't know. I don't want to read too much into it. But we, we have been talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we've talked about these 12 apostles. And now each apostle perhaps is grabbing their own basket. So maybe once again, we're looking at the same theme again, over and over again, that it is 12, it is 12, it is 12. I'm not sure. And those who ate, verse 44, the loaves were 5,000 men. Okay, so we, we've seen the care of Jesus Christ for his disciples. We see the compassion of Jesus Christ for the people. He fed them spiritually, the word, and then he fed them physically. We have gotten into our time period where we think about physical needs more than spiritual. I want you to now look at the constant presence of God in the storms. Look here in verse 45. Immediately, once again, sense of urgency. Jesus sends these disciples away. I don't know why the sudden departure, but Jesus sends them away. I believe it may be connected to John. That if you read the parallel passage in John chapter 6, what we are going to find is that after Jesus gave and gave and gave and gave and gave, there were some that were looking to make him king. And Jesus says, no, no, no. (laughs) No shortcuts to the cross here. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to send his apostles away. Why? Because that's probably what they were looking for. Wow, we've got the time now. You're going to make you king and I'm going to be right there, right by your side, Jesus. And Jesus says, go away. You guys go away, keeping them from that temptation. And then Jesus now is going to spend time dismissing the crowd. And he dismisses them. He sends them away. And what does Jesus do in verse 46? And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to do what? To pray. That should tell us a lot. That if the second person of the Trinity felt the need to go up and pray, maybe you and I need to as well. Take the maybe out of it. I don't know if the temptation of them wanting to make him king, Jesus says, I'm going to go and pray. I have no idea. But I do know this, that Jesus Christ went up to the mountain to a solitary place to pray. The communion that he had with his father, the fellowship that he had with his father, this intercession that he's praying for his people, he was doing this constantly. This has been a very long day. And Jesus took time to pray. I think we would be wise to think about that. And then Jesus then, after he's up there on the mountain to pray, and when evening had come, the boat was out there in sea, and he was alone on land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. Now, Jesus is up on a mountain, and they're out in sea, and they're taking a journey that I think it's only a mile mile or two across. But they've been out there for a while because I believe John tells us that they have been, they're three miles out. It's like, what, when, where in you have, where have you gone? And the wind has just kept buffeting them all night long. This should have taken them a short time to get across, but now it is the fourth watch of the night. It is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. They probably left at 6 p.m. at night. What have they been doing out there for nine hours? They've been buffeted. And Jesus sees them. I love this. Whether Jesus saw with his physical eyes, and they were pretty far off, and he probably could, or if he saw them spiritually, as he's in prayer, he, he, has, he thinks about his people that are in need. Jesus then sees them. He saw them making headway painfully. And the wind was against them. And it was about the fourth watch of the night. And he did what? He came to them. I love this. The passion and the power of Christ. He is there praying and interceding. And then he hears, my people are in need. And he's there 
He comes to you. He makes the initiative to come to you in your pain, in your misery, in your fears, in your doubts. He is there with you. I love this. And what he does is interesting. He doesn't get another boat. That's what you or I would have needed to do. He just says, I'm going to take a walk. (laughs) And he walks on the sea. I want you to see the power of Christ as he walks on the sea. I want you to see his presence with them. Even though they felt that he was far away from them, Jesus Christ was right there with them. Because he promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. One of my, one of my favorite passages in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. Can I read this for you? Uh, Joshua is just taking over leadership from Moses. And, and God says to Joshua these words, and we can hear them as well for ourselves. No man will ever be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from to, to do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be good and successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you where? Wherever you go. His constant presence and his power is there. His prayer for his people. Jesus was this man of prayer. You and I need to do the same. He, he modeled prayer for his disciples. He made it clear that we centrally need to make prayer central in our lives. He was in constant communication with his father and he's praying for them. I forgot to tell you this. As a priest... The priest has a twofold ministry in the Old Testament. Twofold ministry. First ministry of the priest is to make intercession. Sorry. First, mission, uh, first rule of the priest is that they made to make an offering. And as they make offerings for the people, the second part of his ministry is to make intercession. So this twofold ministry, they're making offerings and they're interceding. Jesus Christ is the great high priest. He made an offering, not continually, he made an offering one time for you and for me on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then what he does is he fulfills that second part of his ministry. He is interceding for you right now. He's praying for you. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. Jesus is praying for you. He knows you. He knows your needs. He's continually interceding for you before his father. Isaiah 53, 12 tells us that he makes intercessions for transgressors. Hebrews 4, 14 says this, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to that confession. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 25, He is able to serve to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he has always living to make intercession for them. Or how about this passage in Romans eight thirty four? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised and is at the right hand and is interceding for you. Jesus is not only present with you, it's not only the power in your life, he is praying for you. But then he provides this protection. He comes to the disciples. I get caught up with this idea of under his feet. What was under his feet is the sea as he's walking. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is walking on the very sea that is causing the disciples' problems. He's just walking on top of it. In Psalm 8, it says this, You have given given him dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all things under his feet. 
In Ephesians 1, 20 through 22, it says that he, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. There is no power that you will ever encounter that is greater than the power of God. There is no problem that you will ever encounter that is greater than the passion and the power of Christ. We make things so big in our lives. I want you to know all things means all circumstances, all fears, all pain, all misery, all struggling, all strife is under his feet. What would happen if we got caught up with that kind of vision of Christ? If we got caught up with the vision of his passion and his power wielded for you. So the disciples are uh, worried. They see this object or this person coming to them on the sea and they're screaming out in terror and I probably would have as well. Um, they saw him and they were terrified. And Jesus spoke to them like a, sheep, like a shepherd speaks to a sheep. And they heard his voice and he said three things. Take heart, it is who? It is I. Then do not be what? Afraid. Afraid. We were just talking about peace. In Isaiah chapter 26, it says this, you kept him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. See, that's the God that you serve. That is the God that we should be serving. And Jesus says, he reassures his disciples. He speaks peace to them. He encourages them. He says, take heart. Remember who I am. It is I. I believe that the translation of this is I am. The great I am of the Old Testament is the I am that is here with you. Pretty cool. Not only did he come to them on the water, not only did he speak encouraging words, but then he got into the boat with them. He is there with you. And the wind ceased. I almost wonder as he is taking step after step if the sea just is ceasing behind him. Because he is above all things and all things are under his feet. So, got in the boat. The wind ceased. They were utterly astounded. They didn't understand. Because <laughs> their hearts were hardened. They were astounded, but they lacked faith. And how many of us here today are similar? Astounded by Christ, amazed by Christ, but won't bend our knee to Christ. They missed it. They were spiritually dull. And that's why we need the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to draw us to faith in him. But they were getting a little bit more of a vision of this all-sufficient Christ. So we see that Jesus was there for the people in the fact that he had compassion uh, and care for his disciples. He had compassion in the people. He was a constant presence in the storm. And lastly, this continual press of ministry. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to shore. And then what happened? And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And he came in the villages and sea and countryside. They laid this, they laid their sick and the marketplace and implored him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment. As they touched it, many were made well. I want you to think of your savior as available to you. What I, what I so appreciate about this is that you have a God who is available to you. Jesus would get on the land and the people would come. He's available. 
The second thing in this section that jumps out to me is this approaching crowd. This crowd is constantly approaching, this approaching and needy crowd. He's an available savior, but there's an approaching and needy crowd that is constantly coming to him. I was thinking about need. There are needy people all around this congregation and people that are watching on live stream right now. Needy people. But you're only needy, really, if you can understand your desperate situation. See, these people recognized their desperate situation. They, they were needy. They recognized there was nothing that they could do. There was nothing that they could do to satisfy this physical longing that they needed. They needed this healing. So they, they saw their need, but then they also saw that there was a savior. See, there was somebody, there was somebody that could rescue them from this pain. Whether they had a full concept of him as a savior, they knew that he was somebody that could help them and deliver them from the pain. So they needed to see their need, number one. But they needed to see that there was somebody greater than them that could rescue them, number two. And the number three thing that I see is that they spoke to the savior. They implore him. They beg him. They cry out to him. They saw their need. But what impresses me most about these people is that they were needed people. They thought about other people that needed to be brought to Jesus. You know, we struggle with sometimes just giving our person a ride to church. They were carrying him, carrying people to get to Jesus. We struggle with picking up a phone to speak to somebody about Jesus. They were lugging people to Jesus. They knew that they were needy, but they also knew that they were needed. So important. In Romans chapter 10, it says this. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be what? Saved. For with your heart, one believes and is justified. And with your mouth, one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You're a needy person. Have you called upon the name of the Lord today? Have you trusted in him as your only Lord and Savior? The passionate Christ, the powerful Christ, but the one that everybody's knee will bend before one day. But I love this in the needy. Right there, right after that in Romans 10, it says this. How will they call upon whom who they have not heard? How will they call upon him who they have not believed? How are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. See, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has given you the obligation to share. You feed them. You feed them. You feed them. And let Christ's miraculous power of grace upon grace be wielded in your life. Amazing. We have an available Savior. We have these approaching people. But we also have an able Savior. All these miracles. Jesus, they would even touch the fringe of his garment and they would be healed. This is song, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side with love and grace for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. So we have the caring for the disciples. We have the compassion for the people. We have the constant presence for the, in the storms. We have this continual press of ministry. So I bring you back to the final question, the question I started with. Who is Jesus to you? See, the disciples and the people were filled with wonder. They were amazed by him. They were astonished by him. They had awe of him. The demons even had fear of him, but they were not saved. 
See, it wasn't just people that were filled with wonder. They wanted something selfishly from him. They wanted his gifts. They didn't want the giver of the gift. They were filled with wonder, but not filled with worship. I pray that every person I'm looking at this morning is a person not just filled with wonder, but filled with worship. Worship of the Son. Bend your knee to him today. Turn yourself to him today. Turn away from your sin. Turn to him. Don't just believe about him. Believe on him. Trust in him. Believe in him, not just theoretically. Believe on him practically in your life. Today, trust in him. See the passion and the power of Christ. And let him reign supreme. Would you pray with me? Father, we we would do well to remind ourselves of our need to to honor you and to worship you. Lord, we can get so caught up with the amazing things that you've done, and you have, there's no doubt. We could be astonished by that. Walking on water, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, Feeding 20,000 people out of your hand is just uh, so amazing, but... Help us not just to be filled with wonder. Help us to be filled with worship. And for those of us that are here that have never trusted in your son, we recognize that we will only come to faith as your Holy Spirit opens our eyes. And then we bend our knee to you. So I pray that people will hear today about this Christ and recognize that they will stand before him one day. Every single one of us in this room will stand before your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will either be praising him and worshiping him as our Lord and Savior, or we will be cowering before him as our judge. I pray that not a person that hears my voice today will see him as the judge, but they will see him as his precious Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in our benediction? And actually, I'm going to ask you to help me because we're going to recite Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Who makes me lie down in green pastures. Who leads me by still waters. Who restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All God's people said, be blessed.